Welcome, ladies and gents, to another episode of Psychic's Thoughts. Today, we're going to be discussing Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3's open beta. Now, I won't have a lot of time to uh, talk today. I mean, I might have to continue this episode on another day, uh, just because I'm doing this before I get ready for a film set, because I have some extra time to kill. Uh, also, because I've been working pretty much all day... And into the night, like 10 to 12 hour days, um, I I haven't had a lot of time to play it. I've probably had a cumulative 6 hours, 6 to 7 hours. And I think the beta is over now. So... I really didn't get as much time as I wanted, but I got enough, and the fact that I got any time, I'm happy with, because I really want to talk about this. It's hard to remember, uh, even though it's only been a year, a lot in my life has gone on in a year, good and bad, mostly good, can't complain, but it's been crazy, it's been a crazy year. So like me looking back and thinking about what happened a year ago, when 2022 when MW2's COD came out, is fucking nuts. I remember I was in my post-sound production class, and I was really hyped because me and my buddies, we were in a kind of a dry spell of good crossplay games. We haven't had that dry spell this year. We've had Payday, we've had Dark Tide, we've had Party Animals, we've had our go-tos like Rocket League, we have Rainbow Six, like... That's not crossplay, but my buddy got an Xbox, so it makes some things easier. So my point is that like we we eating good, you know? So it's not this desperation like heroin addicts were like, God, 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 we were all just genuinely excited. Not really because of it was COD. I mean, COD's even if you don't like Call of Duty, it is consistent. It is pretty much what you expect. So to some extent, having that reliability, that consistency, means the world for a lot of people. It's why it's so popular. Is it casual? Does it have elements that may be different? Does it go off book sometimes? Sure. And, and we'll talk about those problems that it, can, that it can cause when doing so. But for the most part, it's formula, it's flow, it's pacing. You can't say that it's a radically different game. You throw every Call of Duty side-by-side, side, especially franchise titles that align with each other. Modern Warfare's. Right, Black Ops. Now, those are stylistically different. Aesthetic, weaponry, flow, pacing, perks, uh, you know, tools, gadgets, and campaigns, maps. They're all vastly different, but it still has that Call of Duty identity. Something that other games can't even emulate or replicate, even if they tried. So it is pretty incredible that that still holds true and you have to give them credit for being able to pull that off for 20 years it is a feat onto itself that doesn't mean all of them are good that doesn't mean we need to dick ride call of duty into oblivion i'm just saying it isn't a pretty pretty impressive technical feat to be able to pull that off and it's important because call of duty is reliable it's like the toyota is it the flashiest no is it the greatest thing ever no. It's solid as fuck. It's pretty reliable. It's versatile enough to get the job done. And it comes out every year with a new one for those who are willing to invest. Obviously, a car is a little more expensive than a video game, though. 
But you know what I'm saying? It's like the iPhone as well. People keep harping on the iPhone. Oh, it, 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 it can't do this. Oh, it's the First of all, most smartphones are super expensive now. Getting a high-quality smartphone that's reliable, that can that could last you depending on how you use it for a handful of years, uh, it's going to run you a, a possible $1,000. And I know that's expensive, but when you really average it out, think about how much you use it over the amount of time you use it for. Folks, if you're using it 8 to 10 hours a day or even 6 to 7 hours a day, Every day for two and a half to three years. That's in fucking sane. Do you understand how much durability something has to have? There is not a, there is almost nothing that you have, like electronic device wise, that you use as much as your phone. For most people, for the average American citizen. I know for myself, I use my phone like it's my Bible. Not because like I worship it, but because it's my tool. It is my greatest multi-tool. It is my way to keep up with my friends, long distance and short distance. It's a way to keep up with my girlfriend, who I am long distance with, and that's why I get such heavy usage partially. It's where I write my ideas, my music, because it backs up to the cloud and it's faster to type. It's my photos. It's my photo album. It's my written. It's my notepad. It's my journal. You know? It's my uh, co- means of communication. It's my computer. Essentially, I use it to look things up. I use it to watch things. It's my video player. It's my podcast recorder. And it's often my video editor when I don't feel like pulling out my laptop. I use my phone for almost everything I do. And I love it because of the ease of access. And so I invest in a more powerful phone now. I just have to. It's almost part of my business, part of the psychic brand. To do the graphics, to do the logos, to do the podcast, to do all the things I do, to do the social media, I do need a more powerful phone. Now, for those of you who aren't plugged in, who aren't creating a brand, who don't have to be online, who aren't creating stuff as much on the go, because I'm often on the go. Like I said, today, I'm going to a film set. If I had regular... I do. I have recording equipment for my music. I don't have the time or energy to set all that up for recording a quick podcast. Plus, you know how I like to do. Off the top, walking around my room. But beyond that, I don't have the time to do that. And I don't always have the time to pull out a pad or to pull out my laptop and do things. So when I can just pull out my phone, that's what I'm going to do. And so for me, I've learned in these past few years how much more dependent I've become on my phone. I mean, it's been a slow, gradual process. I mean, I've always loved my phone. My parents are like, you're an addict. Maybe. But my point is that it's my main communication device. Because I'm not that in person with people unless I'm at school or at work. So, you know, it's the way I keep up with the people in which I want to keep up with, right? And for any of my friends and family who know me, they know that I'm really proficient at this because they under, they can see how fast I can text back even if I'm in the middle of something. I think they're um, – honestly, I have people get annoyed by it. And sometimes I think I just kind of – my friends are like, Jesus Christ, this guy have a life. I do. I just – I know how to balance things. And I'm very, very, very fast at texting people back. It's got some spelling errors, but <laughs> some grammatical mistakes. But anyway, my point is it's my tool. Right? 
It's my multi-tool. And I'm willing to invest every two or three years when given the chance when I need an upgrade. Now, I usually try to hold out and to make the thing last as long as possible, even if its performance is dipping. And there are things you can do to optimize the performance. If you have an iPhone, I highly recommend you look these settings up, right? Always back up your phone to something, either physical or in the cloud. I recommend doing both, doing the physical every six months to a year and doing the cloud. However you, whatever your cloud plan is, set that up to a consistent basis. So all your most critical data is always saved in case you drop your phone and it breaks. You know what I mean? For me, it's vital. So I have both backups in place. So if something goes wrong, my data is protected. You know, and that's an inherent cybersecurity risk I, I face. Because if someone hacks... Apple servers, yeah, some of my data is going to get leaked. That's a risk I'm willing to take because there's a higher probability of me damaging my phone, my phone dying on me, something breaking, and I can't lose all that data there. That would set me back further than if someone leaked my shit. You know, which I would hate, and that would be a great breach of privacy. Don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying that. That would be horrendous. But it is what it is. So, I take that risk. Um... So you have to understand the risks when you invest in certain backup infrastructure. But beyond that, another thing is, um, you know, it's just usage, case usage. How much are you going to actually use your device? I use it all the time. But there's things you can do with your settings to preserve the battery, to preserve the fidelity, to preserve the CPU from overworking itself. Right, turn off background app tasks, turn off apps that are always using your location. That's not just a privacy thing. You have to understand Wi-Fi, cellular, and most importantly, GPS melt your battery. So if you can optimize it in a way where it's only on on the most important devices, where cellular data is only available on the apps you use the most often on the go, where um, you should never have always on location. There's no usage. It should always be while using app and or off or and or ask to use every time just makes it easier because it just keeps your gps from constantly being on that melts people's phones people's phones can die their batteries can like you know just completely depreciate in quality and uh, survivability within a year you don't charge every night, only, you know, charge if you're low on battery, obviously, and you got to go to bed, you got to leave it on the charger, it's not the end of the world, keep that optimized battery charging, so it trickles in at 80, past 80%, so it's not overcharging, um, you know, there are practices to do, and that can absolutely strengthen your phone's longevity, and I have to do that, because I use my phone so often, I can't, you know, so I've had this phone for a year, and it's still at, or... Not a year. I've had it for about eight months now. Almost a year. And, you know, still at 100% max capacity in battery. Still running things smoothly. I know it's still a relatively new phone, but, like, that's the point. Hopefully within a full year, full calendar year, it'll still be solid. And it won't be depreciating until a year and a half. And when it does, it should be incremental. Right? So it's my multi-tool. I don't know why I went off on such a tangent there. I apologize, but I figured, fuck it, might as well, right? Anyway, so here's my point. We have things that are annual, and they're not annual because you have to get the new one. They're annual because they give you the option for when you're ready that the newest one is there. That's why the Toyota does what they do. That's why Apple does what they do. That's why certain things are on an annual cycle because it is a slightly 
greater improvement and it might be more significant and you never know who's jumping in at that time there are people with iphones 7 8s 10s you know x's xrs there are people with iphones 11s and 12s who are looking at the iphone 15 and if they jump from a 12 to a 15 holy fuck because i jumped from a 12 it died on me randomly i jumped from my 12 to a 14 pro holy fuck massive increase in performance, quality, battery. I mean, just so much better than I could have even possibly imagined. So when you wait a few years, it feels incredible. If you'd get one every year, you're you're fucking burning through your money for no reason, and you're not actually getting that much of a quality of life improvement, right? That's my personal opinion, but to each their own. Obviously, same with a car. Don't buy a car every year, but that's why they do that. So it's always available for when those people are shopping for a car. Toyota, Apple, all these brands, they're reliable. They're consistent. And Call of Duty is the same. That's what I meant to get around to. Apologies for the tangent there. But that's my point. Call of Duty is the same. The only difference is that Call of Duty isn't saying, well, when you're ready, switch over. Call of Duty forces its player base to switch over. Because it's a new game. And a new game wants new life, new blood. Everybody in gaming kind of understands this general principle if you're on the last if you're on the older game that's fine and it's different like if it's an older game that's like you know been around for a decade you're gonna have more people there there's more modded support there's more community there's more of a fandom around the og because it's it's different and they like it that way they might still have the sequel and they may still like to dip their toes in there but the the original had some things that the sequel doesn't you know, if there's only one or two of those games and it's a 10-year difference or seven or eight or however many years apart, that's one thing. The thing about COD is every year there's a new COD. You don't see people playing Black Ops 4 multiplayer. The more offline or PvE modes, that's different. That's an exception, right? The campaigns, the special ops modes, the zombies modes especially, those will bring people back into those games specifically. Because they can't be offered elsewhere. But other than that, I'm just talking pure multiplayer, which is 85% of what COD is about and how it prioritizes itself in marketing. You're gonna switch over, right? And it's a waste of money. It's $70 every year and it's brutal. And that's why it's kind of nice that Activision bought, uh, was bought by Microsoft. It's not perfect and I have a whole podcast discussing my thoughts and feelings on it, but... My point in that is, for us Game Pass owners, in the coming years, we're going to not have to pay that 70 annually. Hopefully. Hopefully it'll be day one Game Pass. Even if it's a few months late, that kind of sucks. Because that's usually the peak of when everyone wants a tricod. So here's my question. Here's something I always ask myself. Is it worth it? $70 for three to four to maybe six months, but usually three to five months, of intense playing and fun. Right, we're talking anywhere between 80 to 100 hours within those three months. I'm playing COD. I'm playing the multiplayer. I'm playing all the modes. I'm playing the campaign. I'm playing, and I'm having a blast with friends. Sometimes we rage quit and we go to another game. Sometimes we kill a shit ton of people. Doesn't matter. But I'm having fun. And it lets me uh, kick back my feet disconnect my brain and just react and have fun and be just immersed and it always has other than vanguard fuck vanguard but for the most part every cod has been able to do that to varying levels of uh intensity of the newer cods you know of the past four and a half years just talking those not talking the classics 
know, Black Ops 2 is my personal favorite of all time. Just because of the time it came out, all these things. Um, you know, the OG MW and MW trilogy as a whole is up there, of course, as is the Black Ops trilogy. But, like, it, Black Ops 2 is one of my all-time favorites. Ghosts is... No, I'm just fucking... Yeah, not Ghosts. I didn't mind Ghosts that much, but that was because of the circumstance I was in. Um, so, you know. So anyway, my point is, love it or hate it, Call of Duty is consistent, and they play well. They do. They almost always feel good enough, but there are things now. It's an old enough franchise that has enough iterations where we know when it feels wrong and we know when it feels right. And we may not be able to pinpoint it, but we all pretty much agree that MW2 didn't feel right. It wasn't the worst COD ever by any means. It was okay. Me and my friends burned ourselves out on COD MW2. I'll keep it a buck. Now, I got plenty of podcasts talking about that. I love some parts of it. I hate some other parts of it. It's a mixed bag. You know, if I had to give it a score out of 10, I'd say 6.5, 7. It's not terrible. It's okay. It's passable. It's fun. And it's fun, you know, and if you only play for... If you started three weeks after launch, two to three weeks after launch, and you only played for two months, it's honestly maybe a solid 8. But because we played it day one launch and then all the way through till a little bit into the holidays, on and off, and sunk that many hours into it, it's fatiguing. And it's kind of fatiguing because that's how I do things now. I binge games because I don't have that much time, and I know I'm I'm interested, I'm into that game, I want to progress. So I really focus that time frame. It's maybe not the healthiest, but here's what I think. It's just your personal value. I've talked about this a lot. Your value index and what you think is worth your time, energy, and money, right? That's what it's about. And so if you think getting 100 hours worth of fun, you know, and let's say out of those 100 hours, 80% of that you're having a good time, and then 20% of that you're frustrated as hell, you're mad as hell, you're quitting out, because that's usually the ratio, even though sometimes it feels worse than it is. Um, looking in hindsight, like, you're you're still having enough fun. If, if the ratio was flipped, I guarantee you'd be so disconnected you wouldn't want to play it. You would put it down. You'd switch to another game that you know you enjoy. You know, whatever that may be. For me, it would be, like, Dark Tide or Rocket League or Rainbow Six Siege or Elden Ring or something like that. If I stopped enjoying that game, I would switch over. Or if there was a new game out that I wanted to try anyway, I'd switch to that. You know what I mean? And sometimes I might do that because of natural curiosity and wanting to try that game in general. So it just depends. But if I dislike a game enough, if the ratios flipped were just consistently I'm not having a good time, and I can't even push through, I can't even have something to look forward to, I will slowly taper out within the weeks, you know. I won't immediately stop playing it, but I'll slowly withdraw and take a break from it. And if it pulls me back into it for some reason, great. And if not, then... Oh, well, I'm not going to beat myself up anymore. I'm a gamer. I'm a gaming hobbyist. You know, I love trying new games. I love hearing the new worlds, perspectives, the art forms. I love being immersed in new ways. And, you know, it's how you find the new games that you fall in love with. If I wasn't so experimental, I would have never tried Dark Tide. It's one of my favorite games right now. You know, I would have never tried Elden Ring or Sekiro if I didn't push myself um, and be and be an experimentalist video game player, which are those are some of my favorite games of all time. So, you know what I mean? It's one of those kinds of things. 
I would have never gotten back into COD. I love COD for when it does things right. MW19, I loved for when the time it came out and the time I was able to play, it was a safe haven. It was consistent. It was reliable. It was very fun. It was very well thought out and made. And this is before I had my consistent friend group to play with. So I played COD MW19 alone and I had that much fun. I, I wish I had my friend group then to play it with them because I feel like it might have been better. Or worse, depending on how they felt about it. Sometimes if they're really negative and they're bitching and moaning all the time, it does make it a lot harder to realize that I'm having fun. Because to each their own, right? I understand why they're complaining. They are older than me. They were playing all of the CODs, the golden tier, golden era of CODs, in its heyday at the peak age you want to play that. Between age 10 and 18 is that peak age eight-year span in which if anyone in that range was playing COD during the golden years, they will look back on it fondly. They will always respect the franchise because it did stuff nothing else could have and nothing else will ever do again. Not to that level. So I was part of that peak age, but I entered later. My buddies started younger and were older, so they were in it since, I, I assume, World at War, if not sooner. So... You know, I didn't get to play Black Ops 1 day 1. I didn't get to play MW3 day 1. Well, actually, maybe MW3, Black Ops 2, and so on. But, you know, from 2007 to 2010, 11-ish, I didn't get CODs day 1. Because in 2007, I was 7. <laughs> so, I wasn't a teenager like some of my friends were. So, I understand, and I absolutely respect their opinion. In fact, I, I learn a lot from it. You know? I don't have those memories of these Modern Warfare maps and these Black Ops maps, maps like they do. I have some of the memories and I've played them since but I haven't. I didn't play them like they did. I don't know all those spots and I think they understand that. Like when they're with me, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? I was too young. My parents didn't want me to play super violent video games at a young age. That was the one thing they were like, let's, uh, let's phase you into this. You know? So that's partially why Black Ops 2 speaks to me so much. I, I mean, I just love that game, and I think a lot of people could say it's a great game, because it is. But also, that was, I got that day one. You know? And I was like 12 at the time, 11 or 12. So, I played that with all my buddies from middle school. We had a blast. So, I know Black Ops 2. I know every map. I know everything. So I understand it. So if they started remastering the Black Ops maps and they did shit like they're doing now, I completely understand why that would be so fucking infuriating. Because you got these new graphics, this new gen, this new flood of people, better hardware, better performance, all these things going for you. And you can make the game better. You can make it play better. You can bring back the nostalgia. You can add some new things. You can make a happy mixture of balance and you can keep people playing these games because that's the problem with COD. People don't go back and play them because they want to go and do the new thing because it's always there, it's always available, and it works. Like, you can't go back and easily play old CODs. Now you can because Microsoft forced Activision to turn on their servers again, which is dope. And I've heard that it's doing pretty well. So for that, it's great, but then it still kind of feels like nostalgia, because you know you got the new one, and we all want to experience something new, even if it's very similar. And that's the balancing act I think a lot of us face. It's like, where do we call it, where do we draw the line that it's too predatory? 
because I don't agree with all this nostalgia, but I don't like all that, and yet I played MW3 Open Beta, and I had a fucking blast. And maybe I forgot. I clearly had fun in MW2 Beta, and I overlooked a lot of the problems, but I felt a lot more of the problems, even within the first week of release. Now, this is just Open Beta, but even in the Open Beta, I had an hours-long laundry list of things they need to fix before launch, and they did a lot of that. So I kudos to them for figuring it out, a lot of the key issues. But I'll be honest, folks, I know this is a long intro, but for MW3 Open Beta, even though only got a few hours, it feels and it plays much, 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 much better than MW2. And if I had that much fun in MW2, even though I burned myself out, and I probably shouldn't have had that much fun, I can't, I can't help but think spending another $70, even though I'm not for that, which might be the last time I ever have to do this for a cut, spending another $70, which I haven't done yet, and I'm not saying you should do, but I'm just saying, if I did that, I don't think I'd be, I don't think I'd be too bad off, you know, if I'm getting two to three months, maybe a hundred hours of fun time for 70 bucks, folks, <laughs> that's a good value proposition. There are people who will spend 200 to $300 for six hours of fun, like at an amusement park or something, which is obviously a more memorable experience than playing COD nightly with your friends. But, you know, I digress. There are so many things that we invest to entertain or delight ourselves. And, you know, I think the fact that the beta is over and I didn't get that much time, that might be a factor. That makes me want to come and play a little more. But honestly, folks, I fucking loved it. There's problems. It's not perfect. And I know when it launches, it's going to get worse. But even a 25% improvement across the board of what MW2 did and recorrecting some of its problems where it went wrong and changing itself is a massive improvement because it's making this MW feel and play for the modern age, and that's kind of all we've ever wanted. MW19 did almost a perfect job like for that in my mind. They just didn't have as many nostalgia maps, but they still had some phenomenal map design and a few good nostalgia maps by the end of its cycle. MW2 was just way fucking horrible map design for the most part. They had a few solid maps, but for the most part, it was dog shit map design. And a, few, and a handful of other problems. So let me do a quick comparison in this next segment of the newer, right, last year, 2022 MW2 and 2023's Modern Warfare 3's open beta. Let me compare and contrast a lot of these things to show you the difference of what's going on in a year. Let's get into it. Alrighty. Welcome back. Hope you're all doing well today. So, Modern Warfare 2. Now, I don't remember how I originally felt. Jesus, so much has gone on in this past year. It's incredible. I mean, I was just learning Pro Tools. I was just doing all these things. And now <laughs> I have another album out, another uh, new production company. I've worked on numerous film sets. I now have been done uh, post-sound editing for like two massive budget short films and a handful of podcasts and other projects. Uh, and just a bajillion other things in life and professionalism and things has happened in between. Just in a year, it's honestly overwhelming how much I've done and how much I've been through in this past year, now that I look back on it. Because I remember, I remember the day I was in class, I was learning Pro Tools, I was working on my project, life was simple, and I was just like, fuck, 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 please, I just want to get home and download this and have the weekend to chill. <laughs> God... 
simpler times, and I don't even know why that was simpler. I was stressed as hell, and I was doing so much then. Fuck. <laughs> I'm gonna die eventually. Sooner than I should at this rate. Anyway. So here's the thing. MW2 had some things going for it, but it had more things that it was trying to change for no reason other than to say it changed itself. And I think a lot of people had issue with that. You know, the movement and the gunplay was okay. It felt fine. It felt like a COD, I guess. But there was this big issue that plagued the game almost within, through the beta and through, like, the first month and a half, 40 days or so, of the damn game being out. Almost towards Christmas. You know? Like, mid-November, mid to late November, early December-ish, this problem was consistent. The visual clarity. Doesn't sound like a big deal. It's a very small bug that apparently, I don't think it was, I think it was a design choice. Um, the muzzle flash, the smoke um, protruding from your barrel when you shot any gun, doesn't matter what kind of gun it is, the muzzle flash, the smoke, and the recoil, and the screen shake, and then when you throw a frag grenade, or a smoke grenade, or, well, no, not a f smoke, a smoke grenade makes sense, but a frag grenade, a flashbang, anything like that, in Modern Warfare 2, in the newest one, uh, from last year, 2022, Modern Warfare 2, it caused so much visual muddiness you couldn't see what you were shooting at even if you saw an enemy and you aimed down sights and there's nothing else in your way no flashbangs no smoke grenades no one else shooting at you and you shot them you will miss most of your shots not because you're dog shit at aiming you might be just fine you might have been playing cod for 20 years and you know what the fuck you're doing no because it's muzzle barrel flash and it's smoke from exiting the the barrel was so much it just made it hard to see what the fuck you were shooting at and like they were doing that i think some of that might have been a bug but some of it was design choice and for the sake of realism but realistically unless you're firing a fucking musket no gun kicks up that much dust smoke and 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 muzzle flash really not many nothing we were using in the game that's for damn sure. Muzzle flash, maybe, but not that bright. And it's it's a game-balancing issue. It's still a fucking casual game. This isn't a tactical milsim. But even on a tactical milsim, they have to be realistic with each gun. It's never really been an issue in any first-person shooter of recent memory. No one's ever run into that problem. That's a very odd issue to have, but let me tell you, that is crucially bringing down the gameplay enjoyment, because the entire purpose of COD is to run, aim, and shoot. Uh, that's about it. And so if the entire aiming and shooting component of it is fucked from the jump, you're not having as much fun. And you can feel it, but you can't quite put your tongue on it for the longest time. And it wasn't until like a month in, me and my buddies realized, we're like, wait a second, wait a second. Why the fuck is there so much smoke? Listen, I'm not a firearms expert. I've done a lot of research and stuff. I find it interesting from a mechanical engineering perspective and from a ballistic standpoint. I find firearms very fascinating. I don't own one. That would be dangerous because I'm not mentally stable enough to own one. Not that I turn it on other people. I turn it against myself most likely. But my point is, I shouldn't have a firearm. But here's the thing. Um, one of our buddies in our friend groups... You know, he's he's safe with it. He understands firearms. And, you know, 
Actually, two of them know it because their parents were really good with them. Um, And so they're both into it. They know it really well. And they're like, yeah, this makes... And, like, even I knew that this didn't make any sense from my research and from what I knew about firearms. I'm like, this doesn't make... There's no... No way should an M4 be dispersing this much smoke and muzzle flash. Or recoil, for that matter. They don't shake up so violently like you're fucking firing a... um, like a cannonball or, you know what I mean? Or a blunderbuss weapon or something like that. This isn't a goddamn grenade launcher. Hell, even a grenade launcher, a modern grenade launcher, has perfectly fine vertical recoil control. If you know how to handle it. Obviously, if you don't know how to handle a weapon in any instance, that recoil is going to be a bitch to you until you figure it out. Right? For the most part, other than your Glocks and your AR-15s. But, but my point is that... So in reality, even if you're saying, even if their claim was, well, we're trying to be realistic, that's even a worse claim because even somebody who has no clue how firearms works in a logistical sense like I do, in a pragmatic sense, I, I still know that was wrong. <laughs> I've seen firearms be shot. I've, I've seen films. I've seen videos. I've seen breakdowns. I mean, it, I mean, you're not seeing these soldiers in movies and shows and in real-life combat scenarios and documentary footage and in, in the, in the um, you know, firing range. You're not seeing them uh, fire a gun and the recoil kicking up so high that they're at risk of blowing their own brains out. <laughs> it's very controlled. It's micro. Now, obviously, if you full-auto that motherfucker and you're not ready for it, okay, you're going to have some kick-up, but that doesn't happen that often. And in a game that is not a tactical milsim, the fuck does it matter? Just keep it focused. It doesn't, obviously for a balancing component and for making attachments better, you can have recoil. There's no problem with that. But having this visual muddiness on screen is fucking ludicrous. Also, there's no, like, highlights of red on the enemy names or nameplates. So, honestly... In the first few weeks, 70% of the time, you didn't know who the fuck was who, which is really weird for a Kai. God has always had this really good way of just very subtly suggesting, hey, that's someone who's going to try to fucking kill you, whether or not they're shooting at you. Obviously, if they're shooting at you, you know they're trying to kill you, but God's very reaction time-based, so you have to have more information up front. And in MW2, they also did a few other things that radically fucked the general player experience match to match okay skill-based matchmaking or whatever it's called now it's called engagement operative setting basically the whole idea in skill-based matchmaking in video games let me address the elephant in the room that's everyone's biggest gripe but i guarantee you if cod took away that you'd fucking hate the game more so let me reiterate and clarify what you actually want what the cod community actually wants there's skill-based matchmaking in any PvP multiplayer matchmaking game of modern times. It's always been there. The entire idea of it is to say, hey, as you get better at the game, just naturally, maybe because of some of the tools and gadgets, right, but like we were talking about in our progression episode, as you're learning the, the curves and, and, and maneuvering and finessing to get better at playing the game... As you're doing better at the game, you need to start moving up. Not just in rank, not just in rewards, but you need to start being placed with people who are more on an even keel. You know, some a little weaker, some a little stronger, most of it, you know, kind of at your level, you know. So it's fair. So your skill level is comparable. And there's a 
shit ton of data that's being aggregated on on the server side from the devs that can be digested and used to better funnel you into that field where you're going up against people who are similar to skill. So it's a challenge, it's even match, but it can go either way. So whoever wins the fight might be because they have the better draw, you know, a little better reaction, or they just have better skill, finesse, they know the map better, maybe they outsmart you, or maybe they have a slightly stronger uh, barrel, you know, that gives them a little more damage or muzzle velocity. And so they're landing a few more shots on target, and those few more shots are doing a little more damage, and that just makes them win that quick firefight. But it's pretty even. You know, it's a give or take, it's a 50-50. But it's 50-50 based on skill, not randomness, right? That's what we want. And that's what a lot of games do well. Titanfall, Rainbow Six Siege, surprisingly. Not all the time, but Rainbow Six Siege is more knowledge-based than it is just reaction and skill, but reaction and skill is also... Very crucial. Getting comfortable, getting familiar with the guns, the operators, the weapons, the recoil, the scopes, because everything's a one-shot kill, and that's actually how they keep it even-based. So they don't even need as intensive a skill-based matchmaking, but it's there. It's there for a little bit of balancing and adjustment in every mode. Casual, ranked, all that. Ranked, it's it's what ranked is. It's just ranked, it's dialed up and focused in. Rocket League has this. Rocket League is kind of in a weird place it's like in between sometimes it's okay like ultimately it's i it's not great it could be improved and it needs to be right so i don't think it's taking in enough data of how people are actually playing i think it's actually more taking in statistical data of how they perform which is two different things if you're paired with a team and your rank is diamond or champion or you do well in tournaments or you win this many games that's a decent indicator it's not the worst indicator but it doesn't actually compensate for your individual skill it should i don't know how it actually works i could be completely wrong but for rocket league i feel like it should really prioritize how many goals you get how many saves you get epic and regular saves how many assists you get and how many ball touches and maneuvering you get you know what's your accuracy not just your win ratio, not just your ranks. That's fine, too, and that's helping, but that's performative, and there's so many variables at play, right? Your win-loss ratio could be determined by other teammates. You could be carried, or you could be carrying, right? But you you might be diamond-level quality player, but if you're playing with your buddies who aren't yet, you might be carrying them to platinum or gold, but in reality, your skill is that of a diamond player, so when you go and restart your ranks at the start of a season in competitive or you go into casual, you might be a diamond player going up against gold and silver, which is very unfair to those gold and silver. And it doesn't change for a while. You know what I mean? So that's kind of my thought on that. It's not the worst ever, but it does need to be improved, especially in competitive. They need to improve the clarity and what gets you ranked up as a division and what kicks you back down because it's very inconsistent. So just having the visual clarity and the communicative clarity of what the fuck do we do now would be helpful. So there's some games that do great, and there's some do games that do horribly, and there's some games that are okay at it, right? So the problem with COD is, first of all, COD has to have it. Don't think you could just take it away. COD has hundreds of millions of people at any given point getting in to try it or play it. So that's a lot of people. <laughs> you have to balance that out. There are some people who are just going to be better at it, and some people are going to be worse. Whether because they spent more time, 
because they have better reaction skills. It's a casual game meant for everybody. And so when you do that, you have to have a very intense way of balancing it out so everyone can play and still be able to play. The difference is when you start manipulating these systems to keep them engaged, that's when you start fucking people over. It's no longer a balancing tool as much as it is a way to procure and, and um, increase engagement rate of your game. Because it's an addictive loop. It is the gambling sense of, okay, I, lo I lost this time, but that's okay because I can do better because I've got a little bit of success. That's why at slot machines and gambling areas, you win a little bit, decent amount. You do have a chance of winning. It's not a jackpot. It's nothing that you're going to tell your mom and dad about, but it's something. Hell, it might actually either break you even or put you over a handful of bucks. That's when you dip out. They will do that intentionally to say, to, to, uh, it's like giving a sugar cube to a fucking horse. It's to salivate them and to, not salivate, to satiate them, to show and say, hey, this is what the, the dopamine can feel like. Just a little bit. Here you go. Now, if you keep doing this repetitive pattern, you might get more because I just gave you it. It's Pavlov's dog. It's a very simple mechanic. You get a reward for the for doing an action, and that reward releases dopamine and reduces cortisol. Very, very simple. Basic psychology. And so that's what games... So games used to be balanced because they were just like, hey, let's just not make it a complete fucking ass rape when someone walks in there who's never played COD, Right? And that's fair. And now it's like, how do we keep them engaged? Let's make them win a couple. Let's make them decimate the field. And then let's humble them and make them realize they got to climb that ladder. But COD is such a diverse and large pool with so many people's differing skills. It doesn't need to be so severe and frequent. It can have that mechanic, but it's so fucking rapid. You win a game, and then you are instantly put in a lobby where you will lose a game almost all the time. And in MW3, it's no different. In the open beta of MW3, it is no different. You jump in there, you do well, and as soon as you do well, you're going to get your shit smacked. And the problem that that does with players who play multiplayer is it makes it really, really fucking fuzzy to translate and to understand, am I good at this game? Part of it's ego. Yeah, you get better guns, yeah, you get better customization, but a lot of the pride in playing COD is being good at it. At least within your time frame, right? I had a good KD ratio, all these things, right? But it feels really janky when you run through and you get 30 kills and 7 deaths and you're doing real fucking good in one game and then literally the next match you load in and you're getting fucking demolished. You're going 8 kills and 18 deaths. It's like, what the fuck happened? I, I didn't just in the course of 7 minutes lose all of my skills. You might have been playing the same way. Hell, you might have been playing better. The only difference is the game's like, fuck it, let's just crank it up to 11. And threw you in a game with a bunch of people who are statistically, objectively better than you. And there's nothing you can do about it. They're better than you because they've played longer or they're younger or whatever, right? And yes, unfortunately, age has to do with COD. The younger you are in COD, the better you're going to be at it. Why is this? Unlike Rainbow, unlike even Rocket League. Now, a lot of games can have this factor, but part of it is because when you're younger, first off, and most importantly, really the biggest discrepancy is you have more time. You don't have as many obligations. An adult who has children or who has a job or has a life outside of gaming just simply does not have the time like they used to to be able to dedicate to gaming. 
Therefore, they just can't keep up with the trends, the meta, the switches. They can't be as good. It's honestly a little unfair, but oh well, right? Also, reaction time. Your reaction time and your physicality will slow down a little bit, right? Not enough to really make it a big deal. Like, you can, you'll have solid reaction time. Your reaction time doesn't slow down that drastically until you're later, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. It slows down a little bit, and compared to the cracked up 13, 14 year old chugging gamer sups and uh, G fuel to fucking power through, yeah, obviously they're on another level because they're stimulated to the moon. That's a little understandable, I guess, but here's the thing. Um, that's not the end of the world because they're sloppy. <laughs> there are benefits to being an adult gamer. One, you know shit more than they do. You just do. Even, like, I might have performed better at playing Black Ops 2 when I was a kid, but I guarantee you, if you throw me in Black Ops 2 now, you give me a month to get back acclimated to the movement, the flow, you know, all that, just to get readjusted or recalibrated, I'll be smacking the fuck out of people. I'm only 23, so I'm not too old, but even if I don't time things right or whatever i'm not i'm not great at cod i've never been great at it but black ops 2 mw19 are the only ones i could say definitively at my peak when i was playing it the most i was great at those but um my point is when i was playing that well if i were to play that again my knowledge of the game and my knowledge of video games will persevere at the end When you're cracked up and when you're just focused on looking cool and getting clips for your friends to show off, that's fine. But when you understand gaming philosophy or when you've been playing video games long enough, there's just some things you're more seasoned in. And when it's more specific like it's a map that you have been playing longer than the lifespan of the person that has had that has been that's playing on the other end, then <laughs> you're going to have some advantages. There's a lot of people right now. My buddies are going to like this. I know this for a fact. We're all in, we're the older demographic of COD. We're not the oldest by any means. We're kind of middle lane, but we're getting older, right? That's fine. That's life. No biggie. But here's the thing. When we jump into COD, our reaction time is fine. The way they play, they're better at COD than I am. There's no problem with how they play COD. They're better at it than I am, and I'm... I'm younger than them, so this theory of being younger doesn't actually hold true too much. It's really that time and the energy that is given, and that's okay. But here's the thing. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the biggest factor that they're going to like for this new Modern Warfare 3 beta is that they know these maps, and I guarantee you a lot, a lot of these kids who are getting into COD now are going to be learning these maps for the first time. Now, some of them, they'll know. Whether because they've played COD before when they were younger, maybe with their older brothers or sisters and such, parents, whatever. Or they played remastered versions, or they played versions of it on VR and contractors, right? There are other ways to know of these maps. But truly, if you played it in the peak, you didn't just play it, you learned them. Like, if you were... if. I swear to God, if some of my buddies who I play with, my buddy Austin, for example, Phantom, bro, if he got dropped into any Modern Warfare map from any of the OG trilogy, but especially MW1 and 2, the OG ones, I swear to God, if you dropped him in that map and you gave him a gun in real life, he'd be fine. 
I wouldn't even have to call and check on him. He, he'd have, I'd call and check on whoever's trying to kill him in those areas because they'd be fucking dead. He knows those things, he knows that map so goddamn well. And it's not because he's like got pinup pictures on the wall that he's jacking off to every day of the fucking COD map or his favorite gun from the OG CODs. No, he hasn't. I mean, he goes back and plays them now since they brought the servers on, but he hasn't like seriously been at peak playing OG COD since it came out, like the most, like the rest of us. No, it's because he played it that much when he was a kid. Same goes with me with Black Ops 2. You drop me in any motherfucking map in Black Ops 2, I swear to God, I'd be perfectly fine. Halo Reach as well, right? So that experience really comes in place. So when they're bringing the majority of the maps in this new MW3 game as OG maps remastered to a T, there's almost nothing that has changed with its layout and with its maneuverability, but there are scaled dimensions that have changed, and it's fucking with people. On a subconscious level, people who have played these maps before, played them when they were a kid, Crazy God's old enough to now have people who have played these maps, these classic games of Golden Era's called as a kid, and now they're an adult and they're playing them again. That is nuts in of itself for a video game franchise, and I think we should highlight that. But beyond that, my point is, this is the key reason why MW3 is going to stand out apart from MW2, for two reasons and two reasons only. One, it got rid of the bullshit MW2 is trying to experiment on. I'm sorry, this was supposed to be comparisons, and I went off on a tangent, as I do. But with MW2... Here's some of the problems. One, the visual clarity was a motherfucker. That made the damn, just the basic gameplay loop almost impossible to get behind. Beyond that, sound design was, was good sound design, terribly mixed. Very hard to tell who was where and what was going on. Because you had to depend on where people were based on sound. And their sound design was great, but their location sound design was horrible. You couldn't tell if they were above, below. Your footsteps were louder than the enemy's footsteps. It took a long time for them to balance that out. And why would that be such a necessity to have? It's always been there, and it's okay. It's good to have directional audio to a degree. It's good to hear the footsteps coming up on you. That's good, and that's present in this new COD. That's fine. The problem was we were reliant on it because we had no minimap. They just up and got rid of it. They had it for, like, directional purposes, which is, honest to God, a lifesaver because... Ah, uh, you know, you wouldn't know where the fuck you're going most of the time. Well, I don't even know if they had it for directional or if it only came up after a UAV popped up. But my point is, you couldn't see where people were. This is a casual game, not a tactical milsim. It's okay to have red dots blinking on the minimap for a half a second or two seconds if someone's shooting an unsuppressed weapon. That has been the formula for almost a decade. For over a decade. So that's fine. They got rid of that. So the general information on locating people was much harder. Almost all of the maps were foreign and new to us. Not all of them were terrible, but a lot of them were either okay, a lot of them were bad, and a handful of them were good. I'd say only two to four maps were good. The rest, and then like maybe two or three were okay, and then like seven or eight of them were bad. Just not worthy of playing for MW2. So you had terrible map design. Game modes were fine. Gunplay was fine, other than that visual clarity, which was a huge hindrance. Couldn't see where you're going. Oh, and perks didn't fucking matter at all. They were on a delayed timer, which at first kind of sounded like a cool concept, and then you actually play it, and you're like, this just sucks. I don't even want these perks. Because by the time they unlock, the damn game's almost over. You know, the main perk that you really want to use. It just completely fucked the balance of it. 
it's okay to have simplicity and to make this a casual shooter. You can still innovate on those methods. And they chose to radically change it. But MW3 reverted all those changes, and that is a big step in the right direction. Alrighty, so I don't have much time to wrap this up because I'm doing this in between my busy week. But I do appreciate all of you for listening when and where you get the chance. It always means the world to me, and as always, please go check out Phoenix and my other work. Okay, so, I compared, I gave kind of an intro, I compared the most recent COD to the newest one. Um, listen folks, I really don't want to go on too long, because um, I have only I only played it for about six and a half hours, and then the beta went away, because uh, the open beta was only available the weekend I was shooting a film. So, yeah, it is what it is. Here's the thing. Some people are going to love it, some people are going to hate it. That's just God, right? That's the state of the game. But let me be very clear. This is not the greatest Call of Duty ever made. This does not rectify all of the wrongs that, have, that previous CODs have had. However, this is not the worst Call of Duty ever. Nor is it the most unoriginal. In fact, it may be up there with one of the better Sledgehammer games. Now, I believe they did the original Modern Warfare 3, which is actually really fucking good. But here's the problem. Here's, here's something people don't remember back in the day in 2012, which the original MW3 was one of the first, was the, actually, I think it was the first Modern Warfare, my first Modern Warfare game that I got. It was right around the time my parents allowed me to start playing COD, uh, and it was a few months after it came out. And I remember I was able to convince my dad to, to let me have it because the campaign was about World War III. I was like, it's like a Tom Clancy novel. Because it was. It was very much like a Tom Clancy novel. A fucking A. I mean, one of the opening missions is on a nuclear submarine. I mean, come on. And so I convinced him with that. And a few other things. It took time. It was not an easy task, and I'm glad I did. But anyway. Something people don't remember is, right? Back in the day, in 2009, Modern Warfare 2 was one of the most highly regarded video games ever. Right? The first Modern Warfare was an instant classic, and the second one just took that and cranked it to 11. Took all the best parts and improved it. Cut out all the worst parts for the most part. Right? It was an incredible feat. So then Modern Warfare 3 came in, and what did that do? Other than story-wise in the campaign wrap up the story, which was fine. It was uh, perfectly okay. Well, it was kind of... it was okay. People said it was good, not great, not exceptional, not revolutionary, not horrible, not shitty, not out of, not poor taste, but good, solid, mechanically sound, technically gameplay-wise, technically just a polished, refined version from a graphic fidelity, from a performance, and from a few tweaks and fine-tuning, just a refinement of MW2. With a few new maps and a new campaign and a new, like, uh, survival mode, which is dope. And I really wish we got that back. You know, I love having COD zombies, but I only like that when we get a full Treyarch game. Don't know why we couldn't just get round-based uh, AI waves, like back in MW3. That was the coolest shit ever. And those Spec Ops missions were really out of this world, in my opinion. But anyway, that's all it was. It was not actually that entirely original. A lot of people cite this as the first time that COD didn't fully innovate on itself and really refresh themselves per a new sequel. 
And my question to you is, is that that big of a deal? It's the third one. What's the fucking point? Why would they go out of their way to radically make something different? Right? If they're doing a soft reboot, if they're doing the first of a new sub-series within the franchise, right? Because you have the franchise of Call of Duty, then you get these sub-series, the Black Ops series, the COD, uh, I'm sorry, the Modern Warfare series, the uh, Infinite and Advanced, the Futuristic Warfare side of it, the all these other things, right? And those are all still Call of Duty, which is incredible in of itself that it can still be identified, play, and feel like a Call of Duty. And Call of Duty, don't get me wrong, is still one of the best playing FPS games out there. There's not many that can match it in the multiplayer sphere. Battlefield, Titanfall 2, and Halo. Those are the other big three, in my opinion, that perfectly marry the PvP mechanic, the balance, the skill, the movement, in a traditional respawn-based, you know, arena-style combat, PvP combat, with perks and upgradables and cosmetics and all that to go around and they all uniquely have their own identity titanfall stands out from those more than any other entry but yeah god i love that game i, I hope we get a titanfall 3 i I'd, i want that more than modern warfare 3 than anything okay so the Modern Warfare 3, so that that's what it was. The original Modern Warfare 3 in like 2011 and 12, that's all it was. And that was most people's complaint, actually. They're like, it's good. It's not bad at all. So people are like, well, why are you upset? Well, because it's, I might as well just play Modern Warfare 2. This is just three years more advanced graphics and art style with a few new things and some polish. Yeah, you know, some new weapons, some new maps, of course, right? Maybe a few new perks, some new modes, but... I think Kill Confirmed was actually introduced then, or maybe that was in Black Ops. Anyway, so it was just like, you know, I don't know. It was just one of those things where it's like, people were not that excited by it. But, once again, if it's a trilogy, most of the times a trilogy is there to wrap things up. A lot of things are structured story-wise in three-part structure dating back as old as Greek philosophy, right? So, the three-act structure is key. It's <laughs> it's in place for most things. Not everything's a three-act structure, but usually the, the general assumption is that it would be. So, if you're doing a trilogy, a storyline, even though each individual story has three acts within themselves, you can look at the entire story, and each entry in that trilogy is first, second, third act. Those are what the best movie trilogies are able to pull off. That's where the new Star Wars trilogy fell so hard. Individually, the movies are kind of fun. They're well made, they're exciting to watch, they've got some interesting dynamics, and they kind of change the mold and formula in some ways for better, in some ways for worse. Right, but when but we never look at Star Wars as a as a standalone for the most part, unless. Unless it's predefined to be looked at that way. Look at Star Wars Rogue One. Let's just really quick say, I mean, that movie's exceptionally well made. From the, the cinematic quality, the, the scale, the, the visuals, the, the grittier nature of the war side of Star Wars. And all the interesting ensemble cast of characters. But let's be real with ourselves. 
It's just Halo Reach in Star Wars. There is no fucking difference. I swear to God, beat by beat, plot by plot, hell, almost frame by frame, it's just a recreation of Halo Reach's campaign cutting out the gameplay mechanics. It really is. There is not much of a difference. And Halo Reach is one of my all-time, is my all-time favorite video game, so I'm not complaining. Because Star Wars is my all-time favorite movie television franchise. So a marriage of those is perfect. Like, Star Wars Rogue One is up there with one of my favorite Star Wars movies. Obviously, nothing tops the original three for me. No, not even the prequels, as great as they are in, in areas. But overall, the prequels lack. Because they're long, they're bloated, they're too political, they're too much other stuff. It's okay, though, because the prequels were designed to be world-building and to expand the universe and to tell and flesh out the previous stories of our characters that we've come to know and love. So for what the prequels did, they did it excellently. Excellently? excellently? Exceptionally? We'll say exceptionally because that word just left my brain. But anyway. Um, but when you watch the prequels, for as much as some people want to give it shit, I don't want to give it too much shit. It's not always my thing, but I like a lot of them, and, you know, Revenge of the Sith is a phenomenal fucking movie and ties it up beautifully. But when you watch the prequels, regardless of how you feel with each individual movie or scene or segment or character, because there's a lot of that, um, it's structured. Like, Lucas had an outline. He knew damn well what he was getting around to. Same with the original trilogy. Like, he knew the beginning, middle, end of this trilogy. You have to respect that. Because... The new Star Wars trilogy didn't know that. They kept retconning and realigning themselves. I mean, Force Awakens established a bunch of stuff to kick off the trilogy. And then Last Jedi. I think Last Jedi was an interesting film. I think if Last Jedi was the first of the new Star Wars films, we would have been in a better place. And if Ryan Johnson directed the whole trilogy, I'll stand on that. I'm not saying he's the best pick for Star Wars films. And I'm not saying The Last Jedi is like the best Star Wars film ever. It's not. It's not as bad as people think it is. It was trying some things, but it it was being really bold and it was trying something new that's actually kind of exciting. And then it pussyfooted and backtracked because either Disney stepped in and said, no, 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 you can't be that extreme. Or they decided last minute that might not land. I don't know. So overall in execution, it didn't work. But some of the things it was laying out, the gray Jedi, not everything so black and white, war... It can be played on both sides, regardless of the consequences. Had some really mature themes that I liked where it was going, because it's okay to explore those themes and have them while still having the simplicity of good and evil and all the stuff that we've come to know and love, right? But the problem with the new trilogy is, overall, the biggest singular problem, if I had to point one, there's so many flaws with each individual movie. I'm not saying that we need to excuse the fact that these three movies are, for the most part, a shit, shit show dumpster fire, Right? Because they are. But the biggest problem is that there's no cohesion. It never felt like that the main writers, the head writers, the Disney, sat down and made a simple outline, a three-point outline, of what each main film is going to do and what the overarching storyline is going to be for all three to connect them. There's a disconnect. So say what you will about COD Modern Warfare, but the original Modern Warfare trilogy doesn't have that disconnect. Sure. It's not as exciting, it's not as climactic as one would hope to end on, but it still ends it and keeps it cohesive. It doesn't just completely retcon itself and make no fucking sense by the end of it. 
Now, we'll see how the campaign goes for this new Modern Warfare trilogy, but I'll say this. The Modern Warfare 2019 campaign, I fucking loved it. It did everything I wanted to see in a COD Modern Warfare um, campaign of modern, of newer game campaign with a more mature audience and a more mature tone. The sequel is good. Modern Warfare 2 campaign's good. It's not great, and it, and it for me... It's just, I know it's a different setting. I know it's like Mexico-based or Central America-based. I know it's like all these other things. And I get it, like they eliminated the threat in the Middle East with and the Russian threat. But like, that's just, that just is too far of a stretch for me. Like, stay in Europe-Middle Eastern conflict. It just just doesn't quite add up to me. It just kind of feels like it's a TV show and our cast of heroes are going on adventures. Which is not a problem if that's how it wants to go about um, to have diversity. But I, I just doesn't, doesn't quite make sense. I mean, you look at the original Black Ops trilogy, not counting the third campaign, but the, at least the first two Black Ops games, those are so interwoven. And they have so many set pieces and time jumping, but they're so, so well written and so coherent. Anyway... Regardless of that tangent, I just want to wrap this up with saying I think that this new Modern Warfare 3 is doing the same exact thing the old Modern Warfare 3 did. It is taking what has already worked and blocking out the majority of what hasn't worked. Now, that does not mean that this game won't have problems. I can tell it already does with some of its design choices. But for the most part, yes, is it nostalgia baiting us? Hardcore. You have to understand it's doing that. But to me, I had fun playing it. I think that's all I could ask for in a COD. In the multiplayer scenario, that's all I had hands-on with. The multiplayer gameplay, I had a lot of fun with. To the point where I wanted to play more. I didn't want to put it down. That's a good sign to me. Like I said in the beginning, that doesn't warrant it being the greatest game ever. But if it's 40 to 80 hours of fun with maybe 10 to 20 hours of frustration sprinkled in between that stretch, that is not the worst experience ever. That's 100 hours of gameplay, where 80% of that I'm having a good time, for $70. That's a lot of time. I play a lot of games, folks. I cycle through. I try new things. I go back to other games I like to play. Right? So that's a lot of fucking time to have in one new game. We've got a bunch of incredible OG maps that are restored and remastered to an incredible uh, level of graphic fidelity and detail and lighting. The guns f look, feel great. I like the naming conventions of these newer guns. It's not a big deal, but it just makes a little more sense. Um, I didn't really get enough time to get into the gunsmith, but I like it. I don't think it's overcomplicated now. But there are some still bullshit things, like the whole attachments thing. We gotta go do this, you gotta do that to get this attachment. I can still see that that's there. However, it doesn't seem like it's as extreme. I cannot confirm nor deny that until I have more time. But it doesn't feel as extreme as Modern Warfare 2. Where Modern Warfare 2 felt like it was pushing you where you had to play with other guns regardless of how you wanted to. Which wasn't... I don't think that was their intent. I think their intent was, if you want to get that cool attachment or really level up... Um, or get some extra things for that one gun you love. You gotta experiment and try a few other things. You know? 
I think COD is best when it does not force one way of playing. COD is a very, very big community, very diverse. And so the more ability and power it puts in the hands of the player to choose how they want to go about things, the better. And I think, ultimately, that's what MW2 faced such severe problems with last year. It took a lot of agency away from us as players. The perks were set on a timer so we couldn't activate them, couldn't have them passively going as soon as we jumped in a game. The guns, while there were plenty, and it was an incredible improvement in some regards with the gunsmith, and some logical improvements so you don't have to constantly re-unlock attachments, it could have been done a little cleaner in how you unlock them in the first place. Um, because it forced your hand to have to play with a bunch of guns you don't want just to get that attachment you absolutely do want for your favorite gun, right? Same with cosmetics and same with some other uh, challenges, perks, and some other things along the lines of that. It really forced your hand into playing in certain modes and things. There's no map voting. The maps for in large were not as fun, and the modes in the sweat fest was horrible. Skill-based matchmaking is always going to be a problem in COD because it's used to increase engagement. It's abused, right? The simple mechanic of skill-based matchmaking is not the end of the world, but the way it's abused in COD to manipulate you into playing longer is horrible. They even have a patent on the software on how that works from an AI machine learning standpoint, and it's nuts. It's ridiculous, and it's manipulative, and they need to tone it down. You know, if it's within that span of 10 games, you know, you go on a winning streak, you win five or six, and then the next two or three are a little more challenging. You might lose one or two, and you might barely lose the third one, or you might just barely eat by and win that. That wouldn't be as big of a problem. It's still skill-based matchmaking, so you don't absolutely stomp the floor and never have a challenge. That's fair. That's normal balancing in a PvP setting. But it's not so extreme where one game you do well and the next game you get absolutely wiped. Also, the disconnecting lobbies is the same, and the horrible, shitty, hard-to-navigate UI is still in place as ever. It's a little more cleaned up, like, everything reads a little better and isn't as weird in size and scale, so there is that. It is a little better. I'd say it's about 20% better, which makes a big difference. So here's the thing. Modern Warfare 3 is clearly was going to be year two for Modern Warfare 2. They were going to switch to a two-year release cycle not a annual release cycle which would be a massive quality of life improvement for the franchise but i think like i said before i think activision is squeezing the final sales or they're trying to they made this decision quite recently when the merger got stalled because the merger was deal was supposed to go through in june you know, we didn't know officially of COD Modern Warfare 3 until July, August-ish. So, yeah. That's that's what it was to me. But, it was, it was one of those things where they're absolutely uh, manipulating. Yeah, they're just trying to squeeze one last penny. The problem is the acquisition already went through, so it's too late. So I feel like after this, we'll see what Microsoft does with the franchise. But like I said, overall, it is fun. It's actually a fucking blast. It is way, way, way better than Modern Warfare 2 from the jump. 
there are bugs, there's issues, the game's not perfect, there's some balance issues, there are definitely things that are going to frustrate people, there is a very large time to kill, it is extremely long, it almost takes an entire mag at base, but here's what I like, first of all, the OG maps are here, the movement is phenomenal and fluid as ever, the gunplay sounds and feels great, the, dip, the problem is that you move so fucking fast on maps that were never designed for that, so they need to figure out how to balance that a little bit, because OG players are going to have trouble with that. You move fast, you shoot long. But I do like that the time to kill, even though it's kind of a pain to get used to, after about seven, eight matches, you get used to it. And the time to kill is long, but that actually allows firefights. Just a half a second, but it doesn't mean you're going to get dropped as soon as you step out, for the most part. But the headshot multiplicative damage scale is outrageous. So if you land a couple headshots, you're killing them. So it's rewarding accuracy over, over speed. It's a very subtle design change. We feel it in the time to kill, but it's a very subtle balance, and it's very important because it's no longer who's just the fastest to draw and kill you. It is who's the fastest, but more so who's the most accurate, and that is going to matter a lot, and a lot of you are going to be frustrated because you're going to realize how inaccurate you are. Now, the hit registration and network ban and server stuff, that's going to cause some problems because there's some hit scan detection and registration issues that I felt maybe it's because it's beta, maybe because of servers. But they need to get that ironed out if they're going to have this high TTK. But the OG maps are a win. Even though they're going to be a little weird to navigate at this speed. Uh, perks and the way they're implementing them are kind of weird, but they're, they're here. They're not too radically different. They're just kind of different in appearance. Weapons, customization, all that's good. Gunplay movement feels good. There's none of that muzzle flash, smoke bullshit. You can see what you're shooting at. It's a very simple, clean COD. It is what COD Modern Warfare 2 should have been last year. So it's a shame that it's a full price $70 game. But here's what I'll say. If you like COD, or if you need just a consistent multiplayer game where you want to grind a little bit, you want to sweat a little bit, but you're going to play it casually, you're just going to enjoy yourself, unplug your brain, this is that game. And for me, as I'm going through these stressful times, as I'm navigating life, I might just invest in that because I had a lot of fun and I don't get too stressed about these things. I want to do well. I don't want to lose. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not stressing it like a Rainbow Six or a Rocket League competitive match. So if that's what you're going in for, the casual fun experience of just playing COD, you are going to like this because it's bringing a lot back and it's refining and polishing a lot that we know and love as Call of Duty. And I think for Modern Warfare 3, Ending off this trilogy as we start a new cycle, as Microsoft takes hold of the throne, as we see the future of Modern Warfare, Black Ops, and Call of Duty franchise as a whole, I think this is kind of a good way to neutrally send it off as we figure out where we go from here. So, am I going to buy it? Not yet. I'm not going to pre-order it. I'm going to wait a little bit, but I do plan on getting it. I do look forward to upgrading and playing the game because there's going to be some other games out that I'm going to play and try, of course, but this one's going to be consistent. And I have no problem having fun and just kicking back and playing COD on some remastered OG maps, upgrading some new weapons, and just playing COD once again for another year. I think this time more than ever, and I think with every game, as I've said before, you have to manage your hype and expectation. So, yeah. In conclusion, I got cut off there. Apologies. In conclusion... If you're looking for a relaxed, fun COD experience, just go in with the expectations that this is going to be sweaty, there's going to be skill-based matchmaking, there's going to be large time to kill, there's going to be things that frustrate you, movement and other things. You gotta let it go. Just have fun, enjoy what's here.
because there are a lot of things. It's not mechanically against you in some ways. I mean, skill-based matchmaking, some of the gripes and hit registration, sure, but it's not going to be like Modern Warfare 2. Shitty maps, no map voting, hit scan all over the place, inconsistent time to kill and bullet registration, large muzzle flash uh, and smoke, and not enough clarity on visual target acquisition. All that shit is, for the most part, mitigated. So, this is just a clean, stripped-down COD. It's better than Vanguard. It's better than COD World War II. It's better than Advanced Warfare. It's better than Ghosts. Actually, you know what? This is going to be a controversial hot take. This feels more like Ghosts than any other COD I've played. Take that with what you will. People hate a Ghost, but I'll be honest. I didn't mind it. Now, it was a time and a place, and there was a reason why I didn't mind it. I was kind of secluded in this hotel because I was traveling. I just got the new Xbox. I was a kid. I didn't know any better. I didn't have any games available to me at that time. So COD Ghost was really the only main one. And there's a couple others, but that was like the main one. So I actually enjoyed it, but that was because of the circumstances. I'm not saying COD Ghost is the greatest game ever, but if you go back and you look at COD Ghost, it's kind of just a simple game. It is a lot like Modern Warfare 3. It is kind of like Modern Warfare 4 in some sense. It is just a technical refinement and polishment, polishment, polish of the technical um, structuring of COD Modern Warfare. Not perfect, not great. Just good, solid. It is. This feels like a very classic COD Modern Warfare. There's not all these new changes and bullshit things. I mean, the movement and stuff. I mean, there are some things where this with this new COD Modern Warfare 3 open beta where you can tell it's part of the new trilogy, right? The movement, the graphics, the lighting, some, the design, the weapon design, all that. It feels like Modern Warfare 2019, Modern Warfare 2, right? It feels like of that elk, and that's fine. It's the third one of this new trilogy. But a lot of it is hearkening back to its original formula. So take that with what you will. I am actually kind of looking forward to it. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it launches. It may not be as good. Remember, when I played the Modern Warfare 2 beta, I had a much better time playing the beta than the launch. The beta can usually obfuscate a lot of the problems because it's only a sliver of the game. So we'll see how it all goes. But I am looking forward to it. I'll keep it in the loop. And of course, if I buy it, I'll do more podcasts. But for those who are like, should I buy it? If you like Call of Duty... And you want to play the latest one? Yeah, obviously. It's not bad. I I really think it won't... I don't think it can be as bad as Modern Warfare 2. I'm not going to say it won't be, because I don't know. This was just open beta. Things change. But I really feel like, from a baseline gameplay standpoint, we're going to have a better time with this one than we did with the last year. And that is an improvement. A marketable improvement. So, thank you all for listening. I hope you have a great day. Much love, and I'll talk to you later on Psychic's Thoughts.